Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's focus for Tuesday, October the 10th, 2023. It is currently 11.08 a.m. Central Time. Today's focus is attributes of a Christian. Attributes of a Christian. Let's say today you're out somewhere, you're shopping, you're going to get coffee. I I don't know. You're just out somewhere and maybe you get out of your car. Maybe someone walks up to your car. They have a camera, they have a microphone and they're, they're tapping on, you know, the window of your car on the glass of your car. Ma'am, sir, ma'am, sir, do you have a minute? And, and you roll down the window and you're like, whoa, what's going on? And they're like, yes, we're, we're from CNN. We're from Fox News. We're from NPR, wherever. And they're like, we need to ask you a very important question. Could you list three or four attributes of a Christian? What are three or four attributes of a Christian that, you know, that would help people to be able to identify, see those attributes? That's a Christian. That's a Christian. That's a Christian. Now, I think most of us, first of all, if we were put in that spot, of course, we'd be caught a little off guard, and I don't know exactly what we would say. But if we thought about it, I think typically, let's just be honest, when we start trying, when when people start giving supposed, here are the attributes that de- describes a Christian, here are the characteristics that, that shows someone who is a Christian, We, I think we typically refer to things that were le- relate to morality, like moral attributes, moral characteristics, right? Well, we don't drink or we don't get drunk or we don't, you know, we don't do this. We don't do like it would be typically I think things relate to morality. I could be wrong, but I think that's where most people would go. We would we would we would look to things that relate to morality. And then, and look, this is, I know I'm using a fictitious illustration of, you know, the news media walking up to you asking this question. But if you think about it, this is talked about a lot, even within Christianity, right? Because typically it's phrased, maybe not so much what are the attributes or what are the characteristics of a Christian, but typically it goes something like this. How do you know you're saved? Well, here are the characteristics. Here are the attributes that you must demonstrate your life in order to prove you're saved, which then becomes, wait a minute, how do these things prove that I'm saved if I'm saved by an imputed righteousness. Okay, we've talked about that in our discussion of law and gospel. But but it's always, we, we do speak a lot within Christianity to some level, like, hey, this, this should be, you know, a characteristic of yours if you are a Christian. This, these should be some basic attributes. But I, I think that typically it goes to the level of morality, that you don't do this, you don't do this. You don't, depending on the type of church you go to, you don't watch this, you don't dress this way, you don't talk this way, you don't use these words, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't use explicit language, you know, on and on and on and on and on. And we can talk about whether those things actually prove anything, whether those things actually demonstrate anything. We we could, we could talk all day about that. But I I was thinking, I wonder if anyone, would give these four things as an attribute of a Christian. I wonder if anyone would give these four things. Number one, knowledge. Number two, skill and learning. Number three, wisdom. And number four, understanding. When you look at the Christian world, would you say, hey, the, 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 the common attributes... That really describes Christians. This is what you see when you get around Christians. You see Christians who are full of knowledge, who have skill and learning, who are full of wisdom and are full of understanding. 
When you look at the Christian world, when you think of the people in your church, do you like, man, I, I'm amongst a lot of people who are extremely knowledgeable. They have great skill in learning. They have great wisdom, great insight, the, 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 the ability to, to correctly apply that knowledge. And they have this deep understanding. Now, I, I feel there's a part of me, and, and, I, and maybe I should not say this, but there's a lot of times when I look to the Christian world or I start talking to Christians or I look at maybe comments on a Christian website where people are commenting on a, a story or – and sometimes I'm like, I don't – that doesn't demonstrate knowledge. They seem to be ignorant, but they think they're knowledgeable. I mean, they, I, th- I do believe Christians always think we're knowledgeable. I think we believe we have all knowledge. But in many cases, we, we show fundamental ignorance over things. But that doesn't stop us from hopping on social media trying to act like we know everything. Skill and learning? I I don't know. Because, see, what I tend to find within the Christian world is a, a kind of a... Uh, a propensity, a propensity to a, 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 a tendency, maybe we'll use that word, a tendency, so I can say the word correctly, tendency to, to go towards conspiratorial thinking, not skill in learning, but seemingly almost a, it's almost like a, like a moth to a, to a light, right? Like moth to a flame. Like they're drawn to conspiratorial things. Instead of skill and learning, they seem to have this just knack of finding themselves in some crazy ideas and crazy conspiratorial concepts. Wisdom? Sometimes when you hear Christians offer advice, <laughs> when sometimes Christians, you're just kind of like, oh, oh dear goodness. Please don't help anyone. Please don't counsel anyone. And understanding? I don't know. Now, the question is, I think we should all desire these things, knowledge, skill, and learning, wisdom, and and, and understanding. But are they actual attributes of Christians? Should they be? That, that's really kind of the thing I'm going to put forth for you today to figure out. If you go through the Bible, do you think this, the, the Bible calls Christians to be knowledgeable, to have skill in learning, to have wisdom and to have understanding? I think there, I think some of those we can clearly, I think wisdom, I think we could clearly argue we're definitely called to wisdom, right? Not the wisdom of this world, right? But a, but a spiritual wisdom, a godly wisdom. I think we are called to be wise. I think we are definitely called to grow in knowledge. I, I, I don't think there's any way to get around that. And I think skill and learning, I mean, we're, we're, are we not to be students? Why aren't, we, why, aren't, why aren't we supposed to be? I think there's supposed to be some skill there and understanding. I, I think we could prove that. You can go look up the scriptures today that you think would prove, no, these should be attributes of a Christian. I know we tend to go to the moral ones, but I think these four, knowledge, skill, and learning, wisdom, and understanding. I, I think we have a tendency, and maybe we can blame it on our, our sinful nature. We can blame it on a lot of things, but I think we have a tendency to go against these things. Now, the reason I'm thinking about these today because I have my Bible open up to the book of Daniel. My Bible is open up to the book of Daniel. Now, I'm just going to offer some brief background quickly. And then we're going to read like 
17 verses, and then you can you can just see what you think in regards to these, right? There, there's a lot of work we could do here, but let's just get a little bit of background. I'm going to be borrowing from a book called A Dozen Diamonds from Daniel. I've made a reference to this book a few times. It, it sits here on my desk a lot, so I open it frequently, but it does give this, all right? Here we go. The story of Daniel is the story of captivity. I think we should all know that. No period in the history of the Jews was more distressing and disturbing than than these days in which he lived. These attacks were made, these attacks were made against Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon. The first came in 606 BC, the second in 597 BC, and the third in 586 BC. So there were three attacks upon Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon. 606, 597, 586. Obviously, different sources may be slightly different numbers for those dates, but I think they're relatively close. In 606 BC, in the third year of Jehoiakim, at the, besie- at the besieging of the city of Jerusalem and its attack by Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was taken captive into Babylon. So in 606 BC, in the third year of Jehoiakim, at the besieging of the city of Jerusalem and its attacks by Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was taken into captivity into Babylon. When the second attack came in 597 BC, Ezekiel, who became an outstanding prophet, is taken into captivity. In the year 586 BC, the most devastating of all the attacks, the temple at Jerusalem was destroyed, the walls of the city torn down, and the people taken into captivity, with only a residue remaining. So, Daniel is taken into captivity. He's taken into Babylonian captivity. It's a book of then captivity. It's a book of Daniel and a very difficult situation. And well, what, what is he going to, what, what, what attributes are going to stand out of Daniel? Well, let's read a little bit and see what happens. I think we have two interesting passages that I think offer some kind of an interesting contrast. You can tell me what you think. Daniel chapter one, verse one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. We, okay, we just read about this, right? Verse number two, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Now, I think we can clearly see this is a very tragic, a very difficult, a very chaotic, a very discouraging, a very depressing, a a horrific situation, a horrific time. And if you're caught in the middle of this, well, that, that would be bad. And sometimes our true character, sometimes our true attributes are not really seen until we find ourselves in a very depressing, distressing, chaotic time. Then sometimes the real you comes out, right? You may have a cool exterior. You may seem to be calm and control, have everything. But when all of a sudden everything falls apart, what happens? Sometimes then the real you comes out and sometimes it's not. So Daniel's in a a very difficult situation. So the real him is about to come out. We're going to, we're going to see a little bit about him. 
And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of his princes. So the king spake unto Ashpenaz, that's a, that's a pretty cool name, all right, and says, hey, I'm going to, I want you to bring some of the children of Israel. Now look at verse four, look at verse four, look at verse four. Children in whom was no blemish. Children in whom was no blemish. Now, I wonder what blemish they're referring to there. A physical defect? Uh, like what? In other words, there's there's nothing physically wrong with them. Maybe, I, I think, would that kind of be the, the, the idea you think? Maybe, possibly. I don't know. You, 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 can, you can draw your own conclusions today. This is today's focus. I try to just give you some things to focus on with doing a little bit of teaching. Children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored. Okay, I wonder what he means by well-favored. So he's looking for some, hey, I want you to go get some some of the children of Israel, but specific ones, right? There, there are certain attributes he wants. No blemish. I think that has to do with no physical blemish. I, I, th- I think that has to, right? Okay, um, well-favored. It's almost like get get the popular ones. Okay, go get the popular ones. Like like this is very now. Remember, this is a pagan king, so he he's looking. And why is he looking for the ones who have no blemish, who are well favored? Next, look at what else he's looking for. Skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's place. So he's looking for certain individuals. No blemish. Now, again, you you can determine what that no blemish is, right? You can determine if you think that's a physical no blemish, whatever. Well-favored, is that referring to being basically popular? But notice what he's looking for. Skillful in all wisdom. Cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had an ability in them to stand in the king's place. And whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So the king is like, hey, go get me these people who we can, who seem to have this great ability and learning and understanding and knowledge. They, they seem to have this great ability because he's going, he wants to take that natural ability that they possess and he wants to use it so he can teach them their ways. And it seems if he picks the ones who have no blemish and are well favored, then they then could take that information and share it to others. And then basically it seems like this is an attempt to then bring people over to their worldview, their perspective, to help them be able to adapt to their society, to, to in a sense, uh, uh, you know, be, to, to accept it and to be able to, to be able to operate within it. But he's looking for people with certain abilities. That, that, that's what this pagan king wants. Now you could you can make sense if you're going to get the people to fit in, you need these kinds of attributes to stand out. It, it makes sense, right? But let's see what happens. And the king appoint and the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. So basically, hey, I'm going to make sure you have all your food, all your all your provisions, all your needs are going to be met. But I want them here so that they can be taught. 
that they can be learn, that they can be equipped so they can help basically be maybe the the, the leaders of, of helping others come to a Babylonian Chaldean understanding, a Chaldean worldview. Okay, I think possibly this is a strategic idea, at least I think possibly. Now we're going to be introduced to these children who seem to be uh, have no blemish, seems to be well-favored, skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, right? Uh, so they, 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 they're going to be provided, so he's going to bring them in. We're going to be introduced to them. Now, among them were, uh, now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. All right. Now, among these were of the, of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, you probably know uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You're probably very, very, very familiar with them. You know them very, 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 very well. Okay. And you probably know Daniel very well. All right. You may not know the names Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah very good, but you're definitely going to know the names they're about, uh, they're about to receive. All right. Are you ready? Daniel chapter one, verse seven. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar. All right, Belteshazzar. That's a pretty cool name, right? Uh, And then Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know those names. You know know what their names are changed into. You know them very, 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 very well. You know those names. But please remember that these are the ones, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the ones who have no blemish. They're well favored. And they seem to have this great ability to learn. And and the and the the pagan kings like, hey, if I can get them and teach them the way of the Chaldeans and that worldview, then they could obviously be very important in helping others adopt this way of thinking, which then makes it much easier to rule over the people you are now going to hold captive, right? I, th- I think I think we can see the strategic thinking here. From a strategic standpoint, this seems to make a lot of sense. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested that the prince of the eunuchs, that he might not defile himself. Now, we could get into a whole discussion. Why Why would Daniel do this? Is there something wrong? Is this a situation where this food had been offered unto idols in some way? And are they supposed to eat food that are offered unto idols? Does Ezekiel or does Exodus prohibit the eating of food offered unto idols? And if he's, if Exodus does prohibit the eating of food offered unto idols, then why is that changed in First Corinthians? All kinds of discussions. We we could get really, really, really into this. But Daniel, for whatever reason, he's like, "Hey, I'm not going to do this." But please note, he makes a request. Right? He makes a request that he might not defile himself. In other words, he doesn't just act in a rash, rebellious way, he's like, he, he literally asks for permission. Now, again, is he being wise? Is, is, he, is he showing great knowledge? Remember the things I asked, or uh, the, the attributes I, I mentioned, knowledge, skill and learning, wisdom and understanding? You, you can tell me. 
Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the princes of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who hath appointed your meat and your, and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children of which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melazar, or Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children of the uh, that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants." Now, this is pretty interesting. He's like, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to debate. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to rebel. I'm just going to ask you, give us 10 days. Then you can basically look at the situation and see if this would cause a problem. Again, seemingly to be using much wisdom, understanding, knowledge, skill. Uh, Don't you wish that would be how Christians would conduct themselves, right? Don't you wish that's the way Christians would act? But do we always demonstrate that? Let's see what happens, all right? Uh, Verse 14, so he consented to them in this matter, and prove them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine, and they should drink and gave them pulse. So after 10 days, Daniel's able to prove his point. He's, he's never rebellious. He's never out of control here. He's very, very respectful, very thoughtful, and, and works out a, a solution. And then what happens? Please note verse 17. This is, this is the verse where I took my four things this morning. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge, skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, God is the source of, of their knowledge. God is the source of their skill and learning. God is the source of their wisdom. God is the source of their understanding. Now we know we're in the Old Testament time. God reveals things in a much direct, different way. He gives direct revelation, speaks to people sometimes literally audibly, visions, dreams. He speaks in all these different ways. And we know that once we get to the New Testament, ultimately, once the, the complete, completion of God's written revelation, these previous ways of revelation come cease. They stop. If they didn't cease and stop, well, then the Bible would become meaningless. So, but God gave them this knowledge, this skill in learning, this wisdom, and this understanding. And these are the attributes that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego are known for, in a sense. These are become the attributes they're known for. Please note, it's not necessarily their moral attributes, but it's these attributes. Knowledge, skill, and learning, wisdom, and understanding. And I believe as Christians, we, you would hope that we would at least possess these attributes to some degree. That people would look to, look, they are in a chaotic time. They're in a time of captivity, Babylonian captivity. They're they're under a pagan king. They're in a very difficult situation. Everything around them is 
it's changed. The, the temple has been destroyed. This is a time of great confusion, fear, doubt, chaos. Some of them are never even ever going to see the end of this captivity. Many of them are going to die within captivity. It's a very discouraging, difficult time. And in the midst of chaos and confusion and doubt, you would hope that it would be believers. You would hope, like, and I know I'm being naive, but you would always hope that when situations are crazy, when situations fall apart, that it would be the, the that everyone would look to Christians like, those are the individuals who have knowledge. Those are the individuals who are skilled in learning. Those are the individuals who possess some type of wisdom that I am not familiar with. And they seem to have great understanding. But I feel and fear that many, many times when everything falls apart, it's Christians who we seem to, we don't show knowledge, we show ignorance, skill in learning, we show a desire, a propensity, I think that's the correct word, to for conspiracy. We're almost drawn to conspiracy and wild speculation and wisdom. We seem to show no wisdom. We seem to, we say outrageous things. Yesterday, I think it was, was it yesterday or the day before? I'm not going to mention this Christian. He's very well known, very well respected in the conservative, yeah, reformed, evangelical world. Very respected. But while Israel, Israel is suffering immensely with the attack of Hamas, right? He, I mean, people are dying. People are still dying. Buildings are still burning. People are being held captive. This very well-known Christian speaker who speaks at lots of conferences decides to use social media as an opportunity to basically say, basically, hey, there's no covenant with Israel. There, you know, it, there's nothing special about the nation of Israel. Basically, it belongs to the church. And you're like, in the midst of suffering, you're, you're going to use it now as an opportunity to try to make a theological point against the nation of Israel? Like, I don't know. Could you wait maybe until the cap, the, the hostages are set free or, or, or the war is over? Could you wait at least maybe until bodies are buried? And so he, he throws out this, you know, almost like just throwing flame, like just starting a fire. And then all the comments after everybody's and everyone's debating. No, no, God's not done with Israel. God is done with Israel. It's the church. And everyone's debating basically from an all millennial, you know, perspective or, or a, you know, a, a, that, that the church has been a replacement theology. We can get it all through the different names. And I'm sitting there watching this going, people are dying. And this is what Christians are doing. People are suffering, but we're going to use it as an opportunity to go, see, see, God's done with Israel. Stop. Don't give me some Israel thing. And you're just like, what possesses a Christian to do that? What would possess a Christian? And I'm like, that doesn't seem to show any knowledge, any skill in learning, any wisdom, any understanding, any tact. It doesn't even show, I don't know, basic human decency. I wanted to say something about it. But then I had to use knowledge, skill, and learning, wisdom, and understanding and go, all I would do would be adding fuel to the fire. All I would be doing is contributing to it. But I wanted to go in there and go, you people are disgusting. I couldn't believe it. I've watched that happen so many times. I've watched Christians do the very same thing after a mass, a mass school shooting. Right. Mass school shooting. 
People are dead. The bodies have not even been buried. The children who have been shut have not even been identified. And Christians are like, what? And they start arguing. It's video games. It's this. It's that. It's Netflix. I'm not going to give up my guns. And you're like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Here, here's a novel idea. How about we shh? That's a nice way of saying shut up. Sometimes I think we lack knowledge, skill and learning, wisdom and understanding. I saw the same thing during the pandemic. Where, where was knowledge? Oh, we were throwing out any idea, any theory, whether we knew or didn't know. And it did. And anytime you try to have any meaningful argument with people, it just, it, you were just like, never mind, just never mind. And and I remember saying at the beginning of the pandemic, this could be a great opportunity. While the world is in the midst of chaos, while the world is filled with fear, while the world is locked down, we could be there and we could be, we could present scripture and devotionals and Bible studies. We could turn on microphones and broadcast 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every church where everyone's locked down, you could be, the pastors could be in their office, could be at the pulpit, just preach, 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 preach. These churches that have seven, eight people. People on their staff, you could just say, hey, you turn on the microphone and you preach and you read scripture and you do devotional messages from eight in the morning till noon. And then someone else will come from noon to four. And then someone else will come four to eight. And then someone else will come eight to midnight. Someone will come midnight to four. And you could just go around. You could be broadcasting around. The, but no, 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 no. We wanted to fall conspiracy theories and fight and argue and get political and say, we're going to prove a point. And I, I refuse to follow any rule that I don't like. And then we started reinterpreting Romans chapter 13. And I, and I watched it like, okay, well, once again, once again, the Christian world does not demonstrate knowledge, skill and learning, wisdom and understanding. Basic concepts like put away lying and speak the truth. Now, I wish that God would give us all what he gave Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. That we would all have knowledge, skill and learning, wisdom and understanding. I wish we would possess all. I wish we. Now, I think there's a way we can possess some of it. I mean, I mean, we have we, he has given us his revealed word. We can have. Look, there, the only thing stopping us from having a deep, deep knowledge of scripture is our own discipline and our own desire. Skill and learning. Yeah, I, I mean, I wish God would give us all skill and learning I, because let's all let's all listen. Let's all be very, very, very honest with ourselves. There, there's a. I mean, you're kind of just given what you're given. I mean, there, there's some things you can do to improve it, but there's a limit, right? There's a limit in what you can do. You're, there's a limit. You're just kind of made to learn in a certain way. You can overcome any areas, but, but there's still a limit. I mean, not, not everyone's going to have, or be, have a genius IQ. Not everyone's going to do that. So we, we know that, but we can, we can, we can become more skillful, right? We can be skillful. We, we can learn basic ideas and how to discern sources and knowing a primary source from a secondary source. We can, we can become more skilled and not buying into conspiracy theories. We can become, I mean, we can become more, we can Learn skills, right? Wisdom. Now, we do believe God is the source of wisdom. 
Now, once again, a lot of Christians teach it that this is some kind of some mystical thing where I just say, God, give me wisdom, and he gives me wisdom. I w- because if it was that simple, then Christians would be the most wise people on the face of the earth, and we demonstrate over and over and over that we're nowhere close to it. I believe he gives us his word, and through his word, we can obtain wisdom, spiritual wisdom, and then understanding. I think we can gain a scriptural understanding— But I think what we need to do is we need to probably today, I would challenge you, find scriptures that talk about Christians' knowledge, find any scriptures that could possibly be applicable to skill and learning, find any scripture that speaks about wisdom, and of course, you're going to go to the book of James almost instantaneously, right? You're going to almost go to, or the book of Proverbs, and then understanding. Just find scriptures that apply, and then make sure you understand what is, what is, I mean, that's the Hebrew in, 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 in Daniel. So what is the Hebrew? I think it was originally written in Aramaic, but uh, we have Hebrew translations, I believe. So it's going to be the Hebrew. I believe parts of Daniel's in Aramaic. I could be wrong. All right. Knowledge. Right? Just what does that Hebrew word there for knowledge mean? Skill and learning. What is the Hebrew word there? Wisdom and understanding. And just make sure you understand those specific things. I almost want to look them up right now, but this is a today's focus, which is only supposed to be 15 minutes. But I really want you to think about those four things today. I wish that would be the attributes of Christ. Look, the reality is, whatever, and I'll just get this out of the way, whatever attributes we think a Christian should possess, the reality is we're going to fall short of those over and over and over and over. The only real thing that identifies us as a Christian is that we have placed our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and we are declared righteous by an imputed righteousness, not of, not because of an infused righteousness. That's the, that's the attribute, is I trust and believe solely in the finished work of Jesus Christ for my salvation. That's the attribute of a, of a Christian. Any other attributes that we should possess, that we should want to possess, we're never, we never come close to doing that because we have a, nat- a nature inside of us fighting against any of those so-called attributes. But I do wish that when, da- like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in a time of great chaos, but they, they kind of stand out from everyone else because of their knowledge because of their understanding, because of their wisdom. Now, you could talk about them standing strong in their convictions. Yes, you could talk about that. I just wish that when, when the world's falling apart, that, the, that the, when the world is falling apart, I wish the world would be like, you know, the people who seem to have knowledge and a skill and learning and a wisdom and a deep understanding, and they, they, seem to, they, they don't seem to act like the rest of us and engage in all of the care. It, it would be, wouldn't it be great that they would, they would look to the church? That we're the level-headed ones, calm, no craziness. No, but nope, doesn't work that way. You even call out conspiratorial thinking to a Christian. They'll immediately say, there's conspiracies in the Bible, so conspiracies are scriptural. So, and you're just like, just stop, just stop, just stop, just stop. I don't want to talk anymore. I just don't want to talk anymore. What do you think? What can we do to become more knowledgeable, more skilled in learning, obtain more wisdom, and grow in our understanding?
God gave them those things. If God's going to give those things to us, I don't think he's going to do it in some supernatural, like he just zaps us with it and we just have it. Because obviously, if that was the case, Christianity would then be filled with people who are knowledgeable, skill and learning, um, wisdom and understanding. And clearly, we, we don't seem to demonstrate that. I think, we can, I think we can access many of those things through right here in Scripture. So the next time you get ready to do something or say something, maybe we should stop and go, hmm, knowledge. Okay. What does my knowledge tell me here? What What is my skill and learning to do here? What is wisdom? What is understanding? I know I put it this way. I know in my life, I don't always demonstrate knowledge, skill and learning, wisdom or understanding. I know I don't either. I fall short of those all the time. We all fall short of those, but it should be the attribute that we pursue. I know we always want the moral attributes. Maybe we should think of these. You let me know what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. And I'm going to look at something. Hang on. Here we go. Here's the word. Okay. See, I'm going to show wisdom. I'm going to show knowledge. I'm going to show skill and learning by doing this. Propensity. Propensity. The word is propensity. Okay, that's the word. I, went. I think I said it right a couple of times. Propensity. I think I said propensity. I, I think I said propensity. Uh, propensity. And propensity is defined as an inclination or natural tendency to behave in a particular way. I think many times Christians show a natural propensity for misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracy. So what do you do? If you're going to have knowledge, skill and learning, wisdom and understanding, the first thing you do is you use that understanding and that knowledge to acknowledge what you don't know and then do everything you can to then correct it. So if I'm going to say the word propensity incorrectly, then propensity. Did I say propensity? I don't think I said. No, yeah, propensity. Okay. No, I think I said it right. See, now I'm getting into my own head thinking, but there you go. But you got to correct it. You got to correct it. All right. In a roundabout way, we're very much like Daniel. We're in captivity in a sense, right? We're living in a we're living in our own Babylon, a fallen world with a with a with a world wants to teach us its ways, right? The world wants to teach us its ways, its thinking, its wisdom, its knowledge, its understanding. That's what that's what the king wanted to do with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He wanted he wanted look at these look at these kids. These are the perfect ones to teach, right? The world wants to teach us, but we need to obtain a knowledge, a skill, and learning, and a wisdom and understanding that comes from God. I think that I think there's a contrast there in Daniel, and hopefully you see it and you'll give it much thought. All right, that is your today's focus for this Tuesday, October the 10th, 2023. May God bless you as you think and focus on these things.